Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnar. Robert Bucciolato has the week off, and next week he will join me to look back 15 years later at Hurricane Wilma, one of the epic events of many of our lifetimes uh, for those of us who've lived in the States. But today we're going to talk about Civil War forts in Florida, or three major forts in Florida that played important roles in the Civil War or the war between the states, as some Southerners call it. We're going to look at Fort Pickens in Pensacola, Fort Taylor, Fort Zachary Taylor in Key West, and Fort Jefferson, which is now part of the Dry Tortugas National Park. Actually, one of the main attractions of Dry Tortugas National Park uh, is uh, about 70 miles west of Key West. Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor, South Carolina, is famous as the place where the Civil War began in April of 1861. But there were two forts, actually, that were centerpieces of the initiation of conflict or initiation of uh, military conflict between the United States, the Union, the North, and the newly formed Confederate States of America, which was the South. And those were Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor and Fort Pickens here in the state of Florida in Pensacola. Fort Pickens is on Santa Rosa Island, and it was then Pensacola's largest fort. When Florida seceded from the Union in January of 1861, there was an effort by the Confederate militia, the Florida militia, to capture Fort Pickens. At this point, it seemed like war was imminent, right? It was going to happen. And actually, Fort Pickens, the same day as Fort Sumter first became kind of a centerpiece of hostilities, South Carolina had seceded from the Union the previous month, in December of 1860. And and just as a point of background, just for those who don't know, secession happened rapidly after the election of Abraham Lincoln, who was the first Republican president. He had been elected with a plurality, not a majority, but the Democrats had split into northern factions and and, and southern factions, northern faction led by Stephen Douglas. The Southern faction John, uh, led by John C. Breckinridge. And the Republicans had won by winning a plurality in most northern states, actually won a majority in most northern states, but a plurality of the overall electorate and a majority of the electoral vote. The Republican Party was effectively, and I know historians characterize the Republican Party in many different ways, but from my perspective, the Republican Party of 1854, 56, that was formed in that period. John C. Fremont had been their candidate for president in 1856. Abraham Lincoln in 1860 was effectively a single issue party. It was an anti-slavery party. It was a party that if you were opposed, if you were an abolitionist, you became a Republican. If you were opposed to the extension of slavery into the territory, you, you became a Republican. If you were opposed to the concept of popular sovereignty where territories, uh, or, 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 or people in the territories outside the established slave states would vote on whether to be a free slave, free or slave state, you were a Republican. If you had any sort of opposition to the extension of slavery, you were a Republican. That was the unifying factor in that political party. There were other things Republicans stood for. There were some uh, some some very important economic issues at the time that Republicans were uh, were, were identified with some of the, the same issues that the Whigs had represented before. But in reality. A Republican in office meant slavery was under threat. At least that's how the South viewed it. So we had secession. 
there was an informal agreement between the outgoing president, James Buchanan, who was a Democrat from Pennsylvania, but had incredible Southern sympathies. In fact, had surrounded himself with Southerners in, in his administration, as had Franklin Pierce, his predecessor, who was also a Northerner, was also a Democrat. Pierce was from New Hampshire. So Buchanan had Southern sympathies. He made a deal with uh, with Senator Stephen Mallory, who uh, I think we you may remember we talked about on this podcast before. Mallory Square and Key West is named for him. Uh, there's buildings at the University of Florida named for him. Uh, he was Florida senator at the time. They made a deal that uh, the federal government would not send troops to reinforce Fort Pickens. Long story short, after that, the entire city falls into Union hands. The population largely abandons Pensacola rather than uh, be under the, 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 the thumb of an occupier or what they considered an occupier, obviously. Uh, the, the Union was, to them, uh, an invading force from the North. Many of them went into exile in Alabama, and actually the functions of government of Pensacola went on with the mayor of Pensacola actually living in Montgomery, Alabama, which was the first capital of the Confederacy, and uh, there were aldermans, there were meetings, etc., for Escambia County and for the city of Pensacola in Alabama during that period. That's a little bit of a historical curiosity. Uh, interesting. Um, no, so that's that's Fort Pickens, and uh, the fort and Pensacola will remain in Union hands for the remainder of the Civil War, which gave the Union an anchor in Florida, right in in, in the western part of Florida. As hostilities began, and uh, I mentioned April 11th, Fort Pickens was reinforced. April 12th, Fort Sumter uh, shots are fired on Fort Sumter, and so that's. The, the 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 official start of the Civil War very easily could have happened February 11th, if uh, excuse me uh, April 11th, if the Florida militia had had greater numbers and had decided to attack Fort Pickens. The, the the thinking again from Seward and Lincoln was that those were the two big forts that needed to be reinforced: Sumter and Charleston, Pickens and Pensacola or on Santa Rosa Island. At the onset of the war, G- General Winfield Scott. Uh, who was the commander of Union forces and had been a hero, old fuss and feathers, right? He had been a hero in the, the War of 1812 and in the Mexican-American War. He was actually a Virginian, right? But he, he by this time, he'd been in uniform for, for a quarter century. He was a Union man. So he, he, he sits with Lincoln and with the military planners. And, and Scott is not naive like many in the, in the Union government are, who think it's going to be a quick war, the South is going to wilt. When Scott realized it was going to be a long war, he devises the Anaconda Plan, uh, the Great Snake, as it's called, Scott's Great Scott, which uh, snake, which would choke the South to death by um, blockading its ports, making it very difficult for the South, which was depending on commerce, the Confederacy, which is depending on commerce with uh, with Europe, particularly with France and Great Britain, to uh, to operate, right, economically, to get their cotton out, get their cotton to market, etc. And then eventually cut, use the Mississippi River as a, as a highway, cut the cut the South in two, to defeat them that way. We know eventually that did happen. General Ulysses Grant won a number of battles in the West along the Mississippi River. Admiral David Farragut captured New Orleans eventually. Oh, we talked about Pensacola remaining in Union hands. That was important to that. Mobile eventually fell, etc. 
So the other aspect of that is the blockade. And the most important beachheads for this blockade were in Florida. Mallory was critical in any effort by the Confederacy to break the Union blockade. But Stephen Mallory's own hometown of Key West, which was the second largest city in Florida at the time, was occupied by federal troops right from the get-go because it was such a a port. So as I was about to say, in 1846, the federal government had built two masonry forts or begun the building of two masonry forts, which are Fort Thomas Jefferson on Dry Tortugas, uh, now in the Dry Tortugas National Park, and Fort Zachary Taylor, better known as Fort Taylor now, uh, in Key West, two huge masonry forts. And Fort Taylor actually has the best beach in Key West these days. The, the, the state park there is really popular because of uh, the beach. But the fort itself is, is, is marvelous and, and something I've spent some, some time in and around uh, in the past. Now, Stephen Mallory, who we've talked a lot about uh, on this podcast and previous editions of this show, he becomes the Secretary of the Navy for, for the new Confederate States of America. He's no longer in the U.S. Senate. He's left the U.S. Senate because Florida seceded from the Union. Mallory was not necessarily uh, a wild secessionist, but he stayed loyal to his state and to, to his people. He assumed all along a blockade was coming. I mean, he had, uh, to, to our knowledge, no inside information or knowledge what General Taylor was planning. Or excuse me, General Scott was planning. But he assumed the blockade was coming. And, and being a, a Navy man and being from Key West, he had a really good sense of, of, of where that blockade would be initiated. So Key West... And Fort Taylor, actually, Fort Taylor was occupied by Union troops. Uh, and by January, late January of 1861, there were about almost 200 people living in Fort Jefferson. Montgomery Meigs, who uh, would become a famous uh, uh, figure in the Civil War, he uh, landed uh, those, uh, uh, those, those troops and, 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 uh, captain those troops at Fort Jefferson, which is again on dry Tortugas. Key West, as I mentioned, was occupied very early by Union troops. A lot of people in town still continued to fly Confederate flags. Their businessmen flew Confederate flags over their shops. Residents flew Confederate flags over their homes. But Key West was an occupied city. It was, as, as, as Robert Buccellato, my co-host, said on our podcast about the Civil War about a year and a half ago, Key West was Union Florida, effectively. It didn't matter that the residents weren't wild about it. There was no way to, to, to oppose the Union forces there. But some of the Union troops fell ill to tropical diseases, things like cholera, malaria, yellow fever. So that ended up ravaging Key West and ravaging some of the Union troops in Key West and at Fort Zachary Taylor. 
the Union blockade was a huge part of Florida and the Civil War. And in fact, we're going to do a whole show on, on the blockade in the future. So we're focusing specifically on, on the forts today. And Fort Jefferson is the biggest masonry fort in the Western Hemisphere. It was a perfect base for the naval blockade. As Florida began to fall in bits and pieces to the Union during 1862, the blockade grew stronger. Now, blockade runners were a big part of what happened in Florida. Again, we're going to do a whole show on that. But Fort Jefferson proved to be not only a, uh, the beachhead of the blockade, it also ended up becoming the base in many ways for U.S. forces between Fort Jefferson and Fort Zachary, Fort Zachary Taylor, kind of known Fort Zach colloquially now in Key West among residents now, now in the 21st century, 150 years later. But those two forts had a lot of supplies. They could house a lot of troops and they could also house a lot because they were both on the water in, 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 in the way of naval blockade gear. This made them a very important basis for the nimble parts of the Union fleet and the nimble part, parts of the Union blockade based at these forts to try and counter the blockade runners, which, again, we will do a whole show on in the future. So Fort Pickens, Fort Jefferson, Fort Taylor, all real important forts in terms of uh, uh, the Civil War in the state of Florida. Obviously, the most famous fort in Florida uh, Fort St. Mark at that point, or for, sorry, Fort Marion by then, it was Fort uh, St. Mark under the British, uh, is now called the Castillo de San Marcos. That's what it originally was in Key West. Uh, it had a role in the Civil War, but not a significant one. So decided to uh, focus on these three forts today. And I uh, hope you enjoyed listening. My co-host, Robert Buccellato, will be back next week as we talk about Hurricane Wilma on the Florida History Podcast. Thank you for listening.